Hi, my name is Rongan Chatterjee. Welcome to Feel Better, Live More. Hello, how are you doing? This week's episode is one of those special compilation episodes that occasionally my team and I put together around the theme of one particular topic. And this week, the topic is movement, which seems rather apt as the weather is getting warmer, the days are getting longer, at least here in the UK, and many of us feel a strong desire to get outside and move. But the question is, have we made movement and exercise too complicated? Have we lost sight of what it really means to move our bodies? Have we been conditioned to punish ourselves at the gym in place of simple acts such as walking, dancing, and playing? You see, the need to move our bodies has been gradually eroded from many of our modern lives and instead has been replaced with this modern concept of exercise. Now, the thing is, we know for sure that if we can incorporate regular movement into our daily lives, we will feel the physical benefits and the mental health benefits. It helps to reduce stress, it helps to improve our mood, and it also benefits our overall health and well-being. So in today's special compilation episode, all about movement, we're going to hear some of the very best clips on this topic from previous guests on the podcast, including Chris Boardman, Daniel Lieberman, Shane O'Mara, Kelly McGonigal, Sanjay Rawal, Nick Pearson, and Daryl Edwards. So whether you already love to move, or you're someone who just wants to incorporate a little bit more exercise into your daily life, I really hope you enjoy this special compilation episode all around the joy of movement. Before we get started, just giving a quick shout out to the mental wellness app Calm who are sponsoring today's show. Now, many of us these days are struggling with stress, anxiety, and low mood. In fact, for a lot of us, these symptoms have a negative impact on the quality of our sleep. Now, if you have been struggling, I think it's really important to know that you are not alone. Many of us, particularly at the moment, are struggling with these same issues. And this, I think, is where Calm can really provide help and support. Calm is the number one mental wellness app to give you the tools that improve the way that you feel. You can clear your heads with guided daily meditations, improve your focus with Calm's curated music tracks, and drift off into dreamlands with Calm's imaginative sleep stories. In fact, just a few days ago, about 3.30pm, I was feeling quite tired, had quite a lot to do. I took a quick 10-minute pause, did a guided meditation with Calm, and felt completely recharged for the rest of the day. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds, sleep more, stress less, live better with Calm. For listeners of the show, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com forward slash live more, which includes hundreds of hours of programming and new content is added each week. Go to calm.com forward slash live more. That's C-A-L-M dot com forward slash live more. For 40% off, unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com forward slash live more. Athletic Greens are also sponsoring today's show. 
Athletic Greens make one of the most nutrient-dense whole food supplements that I've ever come across. It contains vitamins, minerals, digestive enzymes, prebiotics, probiotics, and I myself take it regularly, usually as part of my morning routine. You see, good nutrition is really important. Yes, it helps our physical health, but it also matters for our mental well-being as well. When we feed ourselves the right nutrients, our brain functions better, we have more energy, focus, and our mood can improve. Now, there's no question in an ideal world, everybody would get all of their nutrition from real whole foods, but the truth is many of us struggle to do that. That's why I do like good quality whole food supplements like Athletic Greens. So if you want to take something each morning as an insurance policy to make sure that you are meeting your nutritional needs, I can highly recommend it. For listeners of the show, if you go to athleticgreens.com forward slash live more, you will be able to access a special offer where you get 10 free travel packs with your subscription. You can check it out at athleticgreens.com forward slash live more. We begin this episode with Daryl Edwards, author, movement coach, and founder of Primal Play, who goes by the name of the Fitness Explorer Online. Now, way back on episode seven of the show, he told me about his journey from a sedentary office worker to a health and movement coach, and how the results of a health check at work changed his whole outlook on life. I was in a very sedentary job, 16, 18 hours a day, seven days a week, not moving. I was suffering from you know, chronic hypertension. I was pre-diabetic. I had elevated heart uh, disease risk. And when I asked my doctor at the time what I could do to resolve those issues, they spoke about pharmaceuticals. So statins, beta blockers for my blood, blood pressure, you know, supplementation because I was anemic. It was just a cocktail of meds. And the one question I asked, was one, what about the side effects? And secondly, how long would I have to be on these meds for? And I was told pretty much the rest of your life, and there isn't much you can do about it. This is just how it is. It's based on your genes. So I was really concerned about the side effects, about the length of time that I'd have to be on these meds for, and I wanted there was another approach. And I was fortunate enough to encounter a book which spoke about going back to basics. So thinking about our ancestry, thinking about how we used to eat and move and live, and how we could take some of that into the present day. And I was fortunate within a few short months to basically improve my health markers. So I was no longer pre-diabetic, my blood pressure was normalized, I was no longer anemic, I was no longer suffering from some of the kind of musculoskeletal problems, low back pain, knee issues and the like. And that was over 15 years ago. Part of that transformation was my improving my attitude to physical activity, so I started off thinking about physical activity pretty much as what I was doing in my day job. So I took a very competitive environment in the office into the gym. And I thought about training like an athlete, ultra competitive, and I was very successful. The downsides were I got sick. You know, I was getting colds every two or three months. I was getting injured on a regular basis. I started to hate the process even though the results were pretty good, I was, I, I was getting fitter. So the light bulb moment was thinking about what I enjoyed as a kid when it came to movement, when it came to physical activity. And that was play. So I just remember long summers, you know, coming home after school, getting my homework done, going outside and playing. 
and most of the, the fond memories were around the enjoyment, the joy of movement. And of course, there may have been some competition, but the, the main premise of that was how can I and my friends just have a fantastic time? And it wasn't about exercise in quotation marks. It wasn't about training. It was just having fun with movement. Yeah, it sounds absolutely incredible to hear that. <laughs> I think many people listening were probably mm. in a similar boat in the sense that, you know, they have a, an idea around movement, which is in the modern world, if I want to stay fit, I need to go to a gym. Do many of us see exercise as a punishment? And could we benefit from changing our mindset and approach? Well, coming up, we'll hear again from Daryl Edwards as he explains why some of the messages that we see on social media around exercise and body image can be so unhelpful. But first, my next guest is Kelly McGonigal, a US research psychologist, a lecturer at Stanford University, and a best-selling author. In episode 109, Kelly described the benefits of changing our mindset to focus on the simple joy we can gain from movement. The way we talk about movement in society has conventionally been around burning off energy, burning off calories. Mm. It's good for your physical health. I mean, it's a very one-dimensional yeah. narrative. Yeah, it's punishment for enjoying life. That's how a lot of people think about it. Like, oh, I I indulged, so now I have to repent. Yeah, yeah you mentioned punishment, but even the, even the, the, the vernacular around movement, I'm going to kill myself in the gym. Yeah. I don't think we have realize the implications of talking about movement in this way has had because some people will say, you know, it's just not for me exercise. It's just not for me movement. I mean, what would you say to people who say that? And and mindset, you know, influences so much of how we experience something. So I describe movement as using your body to engage with life. And I think of whether you are, you call it movement or you call it exercise. It's really about finding an activity that allows you to engage with life the way that you want to. So maybe you love how it feels when you go for a walk in nature, or you love how it feels when you run and you feel fast and free and you can sense your own persistence, or you love how it feels to move and flow and Tai Chi or yoga or have dance parties in your living room with your kid, and that you use your body to engage with life, to express different aspects of your human nature, to connect with other people. You know, if you're experiencing movement instead as a punishment for something you ate or an investment in your future well-being that that is not connected to something you actually enjoy, it just sets people up to, first of all, find an activity that they hate. I mean, if people are obsessed with looking at their watch and seeing like these calorie counters or, you know, counting how many steps they've taken, it's very easy to miss how powerful you feel when you lift something heavy or how much fun it is to high five someone after you do an exercise or, you know, go for a run. So I think we need a total mindset reset about what movement is and why we do it so that people, first of all, are more likely to choose something that actually connects them to joy and meaning. And also so that we we can sort of escape the voices in the head that often come up when you come to exercise from a place of shame or fear that's so common. It is something I can't shake off at the moment. It's this thought that we've got movement all wrong. We talk about it all wrong. We put people off. We make them think they have to go to a gym at a particular time with a particular outfit on. When basically what you're saying is it's a fundamental part to be a human is to move. Going to the gym is one approach to increase the amount of kind of movement minutes in your week. But many of us join the gym with lots of enthusiasm. And a few weeks later... 
you're no longer going to the gym. You no longer have that enthusiasm. We're bombarded with messages about kind of fitness inspiration. You know, get a body such as this. The full week, get your six-pack abs workout plan. Most of the messages I see on social media are no pain, no gain. You know, my warm-up is your workout. It's all about punishing yourself for what you ate the day before, punishing yourself for the lack of physical activity that you may have undertaken, rather than focusing on how good you're going to feel. What changes would we start to make to our exercise habits if we focus more on how we feel? We're about to hear again from Kelly McGonigal as she describes how movements can combat stress and how regular exercise has the power to change our mood and brain chemistry. But next up, from episode 84, the neuroscientist Shane O'Mara reveals something as simple as walking has the transformative ability to change our mood. How important is walking for our mood, for our happiness, and for our overall mental health? Yeah. Um, if you ask people to rate before they go for a walk how, how they're feeling now on a scale of one to five, they might say, I'm feeling at around about a two. And if you ask them to rate how they'll feel after they've gone for a walk, they'll say, meh, probably about a two. Then you bring them out for a walk for 20 minutes and you ask them to rate how they feel. They'll now say a four. Um, so we persistently underestimate how good a walk will make us feel. Um, and that's true even for people who dread walking, who dislike walking. We know very well that exercise helps make us more resilient to stress. So how exercise helps us with stress, it is both on the sh that short term. So if you're feeling stressed out, you're feeling anxious or angry, it's going to change your brain chemistry in a way that gives you more hope and more energy. That's like, that's the common denominator. That's the feel better effect. But also we know that people who are regularly active, it actually changes the structure and the function of their brains in ways that basically teaches the brain how to be resilient to stress and also more sensitive to joy. So you're going to have an increased availability of dopamine and endocannabinoid and endorphin receptors. Your brain is basically going to say, oh, I guess we can experience joy and meaning in life and hope and optimism. So let's just be ready for it. So what are the benefits we can gain from regular movements? And should these benefits change our approach? Well, coming up, Shane O'Mara shares some incredible research that shows walking can slow and even reverse functional aging in the brain. We'll also hear again from Kelly McGonigal as she describes the profound effects that movement can have on the body and brain. But first, Daryl explains why he changed his own mindset and approach to movement. I, for one, didn't recognise that movement or physical activity could be therapeutic. I believed it was just about burning calories. It was just about improving body composition because I was veering much more towards this message of food being medicine. Yeah. And so, you know, what you eat is not just fuel, but also medicine is also therapeutic. It, you know, feeds the microbiome. That's what's important. And when I started looking at the research and recognising, oh my goodness, exercise can be anti-inflammatory. Exercise can improve the gut microbiome. Absolutely. Exercise can improve, you know, reduce blood pressure and can uh, improve your, your mood hormones, you know, your serotonin, dopamine. And, you know, once you recognize there's this whole body of research around exercise being medicine, then you realize just how powerful and potent it is. 
our bodies and brains need movement and that movement generates all sorts of wonderful molecules that feed back on our sense of well-being, that facilitate good things in terms of our musculature, in terms of our heart rate, and in terms of what's going on in the brain. But you're a neuroscientist, and I know from doing some research on you that you have studied a lot of things about stress and depression and its impacts on particular parts of the brain, including the hippocampus. And that's an area that, that can get affected quite powerfully by walking. I wonder if you could expand. Yeah, I think one of the great discoveries of the of or rediscoveries of the last kind of couple of decades in neuroscience is the realization that the brain is a muscle or functions like a muscle. Uh, it's plastic. If you work it, uh, it changes dynamically in response to, to what you do to it. If you leave it, 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 it tends to atrophy. I think one of the amazing discoveries, uh, we now know with absolute certainty, as certain as we know anything in science, that lots of aerobic exercise, getting out and moving, walking lots, materially affects the volume of the hippocampal formation. It gets bigger as the result of, of uh, exercise and the functions it supports get better as the result of uh, exercise. And you can demonstrate this in all sorts of ways. We've done studies, for example, with sedentary uh, college students, and we've made them do forced exercise regimes on exercise bikes and shown that uh, molecules that are expressed in the brain, uh, which, which float into the blood, uh, including brain-derived neurotrophic factor, go up and memory in these students goes up. But even more dramatically, um, this capacity is retained right throughout life. So it's never too late. So I'll just pick on one very important study. Art Kramer's group in Chicago have taken a group of about 120 people in their early 70s, divided them into two groups, one who were just left to live their life as randomly into two groups. They live their life as they always live it. And the other group are brought out for a walk three times a week. That's all for about a mile and a half with a physiotherapist and uh, they're followed for a year or so. And what you see is in the walking group, improvements in memory, improvements in attention, an increase in the volume of the hippocampal formation, uh, an increase in the amount of this amazing substance BDNF in the blood. And uh, the 72-year-olds start to perform on psychological tests at the same level as 68-year-olds do. So you in, in a very important sense, you've reversed the functional aging of the brain, whereas the other group who just continue their sedentary telewatching lifestyle, they continue on a pathway of decline. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. And, and I like the, the point you're making, that it's never too late. That's the important thing. Uh, and I, I like to suggest uh, that uh, you only get old when you stop walking. You don't stop walking because you're old. Just in the last decade or so, biologists have realized that our muscles are basically an endocrine organ. And um, just like your pituitary gland, your adrenal glands, they can synthesize and pump out proteins and peptides into your bloodstream that affect every system of your body. They basically release them into your bloodstream when you contract your muscles in a regular and continuous way. So any form of exercise, any form of movement. And some of these, um, these proteins and these chemicals, so they're called myokines, which just means set into motion by your muscles. Some of them kill cancer cells. Some of them reduce inflammation. Some of them are, are good for your immune function. They're good for your cardiovascular health. Some of them help you regulate blood sugar. So a lot of scientists now think myokines are the reason that exercise is good 
for your health. But what I'm so fascinated by as a psychologist is some of these myokines have their strongest effects on your brain. So let's say you go for a walk or you're lifting weights and your muscles are pumping these chemicals out into your bloodstream that can cross your blood-brain barrier. And in your brain, their primary effect is to act as an antidepressant and to change the structure of your brain in ways that make you more resilient to stress, whether you know that's changes to your hippocampus or your prefrontal cortex. Some of the first researchers who wrote about this called them hope molecules. And this to me is like the miracle of the human form. The idea that your muscles can manufacture antidepressants and they will deliver them to your brain when you exercise and it's all of your muscles. So if you can't use your legs, you can use your arms. If you can't use your arms, maybe you can brace your core. If you can move any muscles, your muscles will release these chemicals that support your health and support your brain resilience. Over time, we have engineered movement out of our lives. We're going to hear again from Shane O'Mara as he describes how our environment can often work against us. But first, Daryl explains why exercise is a recent concept and how, as a society, we are much less active than we think. Exercise is a fairly recent and modern construct which is a substitute for the lack of physical activity that we would be getting in our day-to-day lives. Millennia ago, we would have to work physically to obtain our food, to build shelter, to live within our communities. That's what we'd have to do day in, day out. Movement has been engineered out of our environments pretty significantly. It's been replaced with convenience. So locomotion, which used to be mandatory, is now optional. There's interesting research about the number of adults and children undertaking physical activity on a regular basis. So the baseline recommendations are 150 minutes a week of moderate intensity activity and a couple of days of resistance training a week for adults. Do you know how many people actually meet the guidelines? If you ask them the question, it's about 35%. But if they're wearing a device that actually records how much movement they're undertaking, it's only about 5 to 8%, which is shocking for one, but secondly, makes me realize that we just aren't aware of how little movement we're undertaking on a daily basis. The environment in which we are living is working against us. Yeah, and I I think you see the the, the problem is the default is easy. We can blame the individual uh, and it's, it's very easy not to see the system around you. In my own building, for example, to get to the stairs, I have to go through three fire doors, whereas to use the lift, the lift is just in front of me. So the default that we provide ourselves is one of ease, uh, when actually we can engineer things so that we get a bit more movement in. And if we can do that during the course of the day, every day, it will pay us benefits in all sorts of ways that we aren't conscious of, but we will be glad of. Dr. Daniel Lieberman is a paleoanthropologist and a professor of human evolutionary biology at Harvard University. He has studied evolution and research cultures all over the globe to explain the science of how and why we move today. In this next clip, from episode 128 of the podcast, he explains why we shouldn't feel guilty for missing a workout and why we need to work with our biology to find solutions to make movement a regular habit. 150 minutes of physical activity each week may have multiple benefits on your well-being and your longevity. 
Why do so many of us struggle to do that? Because it's, it's, it's abnormal. I mean, it's, our instincts are constantly pulling us not to exercise. I mean, uh, our instincts are deep and they're powerful. I mean, for, for millions of years, our ancestors struggled to get enough energy to eat, right? They, every day they had to work. They didn't go crazy hard. You know, they didn't like work eight hours a day on their feet, you know, you know struggling to get enough food. They, they, you know, average hunter-gatherers seem to work you know, moderately hard for about two and a half hours a day, two and a quarter hours a day of, of you know, and then, then light, light tasks for the rest of the day. And they, they sit as much as we do around nine to 10 hours a day. But, but that, that gave them just enough food to survive. Um, you know, there, there are no obese hunter gatherers, right? And if they were to go for like what I did this morning, go for a, a long run just for the hell of it in the morning, um, they would then waste all that energy, which they could use towards reproduction and the things that natural selection cares about. So nobody in the Stone Age ever went for for a morning run for the for the fun of it. And it's it's a bad idea. And 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 whenever you have a chance to save energy, you you, you should. Uh, in, 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 until recently, and now we live in this really strange, interesting modern world, wonderful in all kinds of one in regards, where we can you know spend our entire day without ever getting our heart rate up. You know press buttons to get food and shopping carts and, 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 you know, I don't even have to move my hand when I brush my teeth if I didn't want to, you know, I get an electric toothbrush, right? I mean, everything is mechanical and, and, and the result is that we no longer have to be physically active and we now have to do something really weird, which is to, which is to choose to be physically active. Uh, and, and although we know up here, right, in our brains that it's good for us, all kinds of instincts just kick in to tell us not to. I think the best evidence for that are when you have like stairway next to an escalator, right? You must see them, you know, there yeah. are tube stops all over the place and then, you know, airports everywhere. We all, we all know this phenomenon, right? And, and it doesn't matter where you are in the world. People have studied this in Japan and in Denmark and in America and in Israel and, you know, various places, wherever there is a stairway next to an escalator, less than 5% of people take the stairway. And if you put a sign up, that just goes up just a wee bit, right? If you put a, escalators in the Kalahari Desert, you know, they would take the escalator there too. It's an instant. Yeah, and, and I think what you just said there about the Kalahari Desert really, I think it brings it to life for people because a lot of people feel bad. They feel guilt. They, they feel shame that they're not moving as much as either their doctor has told them, the, the news has asked them to do, or even people they're following on social media who, you know, post a photo, hey, just in my uh, 10k uh, run before breakfast, how are you all doing today? You know, that kind of meme, which I think if you, if you find it inspiring, and you're like, Oh, man, I didn't do anything. I want to do that. Great. But for many people, they watch that and, and day in day out, they're feeding their brains without thinking, I'm some kind of failure. Like, look at all these people who can move their body every day and are vibrant and are full of energy. Yeah, just getting through the day is a real struggle. And I think that's one of the beautiful things in your book is that you, you help people not to feel bad about it. You're sort of arguing that we've not evolved to exercise. Absolutely. And I think we need to understand that our bodies aren't, we don't just get to decide what we do with our bodies. Our bodies are evolved and uh, over millions and millions of generations. And we, ha and we need to be compassionate and understand that and work with our biology to find better solutions. So how do we incorporate movement back into our lives? In episode 46, my guest was the Olympic gold medalist, Chris Boardman, who is now Greater Manchester's first transport commissioner. He's been tasked with helping to deliver 
a high-quality integrated transport system, which includes the rollout of the UK's largest cycling and walking network. In this next clip, he outlines some shocking statistics about our car use and explains how we can all build movement and active travel into our everyday lives. We'll hear again from Daryl Edwards as he explains how we incorporate movement back into our lives. What I am fascinated in is, is human behavior and why people do the things they do. Uh, one of the things that we have to do, it's not encourage people to change. We have to enable them. Uh, and certainly in terms of, of riding bicycles on our roads today, people who currently drive and in Greater Manchester, there's 250 million car journeys every year of less than a kilometer. You know, that only happens because people don't feel safe doing anything else, running the kids to school or whatever it might be. I thought you were going to say there was that much, uh, that many car journeys in a year. You're saying there's that many car journeys under one kilometre. Yeah, I mean, 250 like... million car journeys in Greater Manchester. 30% of all journeys in a car are less than a kilometre, which is just an incredible stat. But even, even just changing that alone would have significant impact, wouldn't exactly. it? On, on health, on pollution, on fuel costs, on the environment. You well, know, it's, an, it's, it's people think of it as, you know, oh, that's terrible. It's an embarrassing stat. It's brilliant. It's what an opportunity that we have to change so little to have such a significant impact on all of the, the, the problems that we face that you've just mentioned. The whole point of, of active travel for, to give it some kind of generic term is it should be easy. Um, and, when you're using the train system and your walk is 15 minutes, why not? Uh, and often I think people don't exercise more simply because they don't think about it. There's just a habit uh, they, to get in a taxi, uh, to go somewhere uh, or to jump in the car. They don't think about the length of the journey. And uh, often I, I've just had a meeting this morning actually with somebody and said, can we walk and talk? And they went, oh, okay. And we walked across Manchester for 30 minutes, had the conversation that we needed um, and it just wasn't a consideration for the other person. It just wasn't a habit. And I think that's one of the things that we need to change. Disrupt your sedentary lifestyle with, with more movement, with more enjoyable movement. Oh, I love because it. Because that is the key. Integrating movement throughout your day-to-day -day lives. You know, if you're sitting, spend a bit more time standing, you know, a standing desk, for example, or make sure every phone call you take, you stand rather than sitting. There are practical approaches to increasing the amount of non-sedentary time throughout your yeah. day. And that's definitely my approach. Uh, you know, I, I, it's very difficult for me to set up an hour, 45 minutes during my day to say, right, that's going to be my workout time today. Yeah. I'm going to pop it in my diary. I'm going to get it done because life gets in the way. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so it's better for me to actually get up in the morning, get a few minutes done, you know, think about opportunities throughout my day. You know, I will, I will do things like, you know, I want to get the remote control. I'll bear crawl across my living room floor to pick up the remote control. I'll squat during commercial breaks. You know, so I'll, by the end of the day, I've actually got far more than my minimum requirements for movement, but I, I have no idea where that, yeah. that time came from. It's like, oh. I think, you know, that, that's such a key message to people. And that's, again, the, the approach I take in my own life, which is particularly these days, I struggle to find that 45 minute, one hour period where I can go to the gym, let's say, and have a workout. 
I'm always doing little workouts, two minutes here, two minutes there. You know, I squat every day with the kids, body weight squats while we're waiting for dinner. Mm. It's like, yeah, two minutes of squats, you know, and I do it and we have fun. You know, I've got a five minute kitchen workout that, you know, you can knock out some press ups and some lunges and get an olive oil bottle and twist it to the side. All kinds of fun, inventive ways to keep being active. And I think the big problem is that we have outsourced our idea of movement to the gym. So if we can't get to the gym, we think we can't do it. Or even, and even if we do get to the gym, we don't think we're done. Oh, I've been to the gym. I've got my movement in. I don't need to worry now until my next workout. I can go back to being sedentary. Yes. <laughs> you know, it, and this is very, very common. So my goal and your goal is to try and, try and simplify things to people and try and inspire them to say, you can do this. Build movement into your everyday life. So, I mean, going to the gym, I don't mind being in the gym, but I can't be bothered going there. And so I don't, but I will walk around Manchester for, for work um, and I will get to the train station uh, on a bike and do those things. And then by the time I've got home, I've done an hour and a half of exercise without even thinking about it. I don't have to now bolt that onto my day. My time is my own because yeah. that, that exercise is built in. I haven't had to use the term or even think about it. I think that's a key point, Chris, isn't it? How do you build movement in to your everyday life? Because this whole experiment we've had is you know, trying to fit exercise around already very busy and full lives is you've got to say on some levels has proven to be a bit of a um, a bit of a failure, really, uh, because it's not really working for the majority of the population. Because no, it's hard, and so it's hard. It's a chore. Um, and so like all chores, you put them off until you just stop doing them completely. So if it isn't an easy solution, it's so, so important. If it's not the easiest solution, we will not maintain it. Ultimately, I guess any behavior change we're trying to engage with ourselves, but also with the wider population, it's got to be easy. It's got to be pleasant. It's got to be enjoyable. Otherwise, people won't do it long term. What's quite interesting is, is if you said that not many people in the UK work or just simply exercise enough but they will all do it it's just hidden so the trafford center i actually got google maps out and i actually measured so going from the car park getting to the center walking around a couple of the floors going back to the car people will regularly walk five six kilometers but they won't call it walking and they don't even see it because they're doing something that they enjoy so that industry which has to sell people things has packaged exercise in a way that you don't even think about it and that's that's a message that we need to take Just taking a quick break from the conversation to give a quick shout out to Vivo Barefoot, one of today's sponsors. Now, I have been wearing Vivo Barefoot shoes exclusively now for over eight years, well before they started supporting my podcast. And the truth is that they have had a huge impact on my own life as well as many of my patients. You see, when we move in minimalist shoes like Vivo Barefoots, the benefits can be profound. Many people report improvements in things like hip pain, back pain, knee pain, foot pain, as well as an increased enjoyment of movements, which of course is a theme on today's show. Now, a common misconception about minimalist shoes like Vivo's is that they are only for running. In fact, I would really urge you to flip that idea and suggest you actually try them for all your non-running activities, at least initially. You see, most of the benefits come when you live your life in barefoot shoes. So, you know, when you go for a walk, when you go to the shops, when you're dancing and things like that, 
You see, you can absolutely get all of the benefits without ever trying to run in them. Although, if you want to run in them, you absolutely can as well. Now, research is showing that within a few months of wearing Vivo Barefoot shoes, foot strength increased by around 60%, which is absolutely incredible. They are the only shoes that my wife and I wear and the only shoes that I get for my children. So if you have never tried them before, I really would encourage you to give them a go. It is completely risk-free to do so because they offer a 100-day trial for new customers. So if you're not happy, you just send them back for a full refund. For listeners of my show, they continue to offer their fantastic discounts. If you go to vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more, they are giving 20% off as a one-time code for all of my podcast listeners in the UK, USA, and Australia. You can get your 20% off codes by going to vivobarefoot.com forward slash live more. Next up on this week's special compilation episode, Daniel Lieberman gives us some great tips on how we can work with our biology to incorporate more movement into our lives. Are there any sort of universal principles when it comes to movement that actually do work for all of us? In terms of getting us to move, two basic impetuses that have, you know, over, over millennia have been the basis for how and why people move. And one is because it's necessary. And the other is because it's fun. And for most people, fun involves social. So uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes going for a run by yourself or a walk by yourself is meditative and it's nice to be by yourself and you can think through a problem. But for most of us, you know, we like to be with other people. And so that's why Park Run is so successful. It's social. Here in Cambridge, we have the November project. Every Wednesday, people do these wonderful runs and they run up the stadium and they do all kinds of great stuff. We have, you know, all around the world, there are various kinds of of, of social events there, are, you know, dancing is social, um, uh, playing a game of, you know, soccer or football is social. I mean, the list goes on. Right. Um, and, um, and there are many ways to do it socially. And I think so, so that's critical. And if you make it fun and part of your life, um, and find ways to make it necessary, I think that's the most important thing that we, you know, that's the most important tip. And there are so many ways to do that. I, I for example, leave my exercise clothes out in the morning when I go to bed so that when I wake up, that's what I put on. And that like helps. It's like it removes one less barrier to, to starting my run. Cause I never want to go for a run in the morning when I start never, ever on no occasion whatsoever. Um, do I ever really and, want to start I, that run? And how many marathons have you done now? I just did my 25th. Well, first of all, congratulations. But that I think is, is so valuable there at the end, what you said, Daniel, that, you've had to find ways to remove barriers to that because you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah, you've just completed your 25th marathon. You don't want to get up and go for a run, yet you are a runner. Right. And, 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 and that's, have, really, that's really, really key, isn't it? I, I, I know there's never been a time when I left the door of my house thinking, I really want to run. I always like, oh, I'm going to force myself to run. And then I always enjoy it when I come back. Um, Another example is the, in my, my building, right? My office is on the fifth floor of this beautiful old Victorian building. And every day when I walk into the building, I want to take the elevator. Bar none. I always look at the elevator longingly. But the reason I don't take the elevator is that if anybody sees on me taking the elevator, they'll call me a hypocrite. 
And, and, and it's, so it's not because I, I'm doing it for my health. I'm doing it because, <laughs> because I have a social, I have a, I've socially coerced myself into, into taking the stairs. And I never regret having taken the stairs by the time I get to the fifth floor, but I always regret yeah. taking the stairs as I head up the stairs, looking longingly at the elevator and don't beat yourself up for, 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 for those instincts, those instincts, even though elevators never existed in the stone age, it is a completely normal, natural instinct to want to avoid exertion and don't ever feel bad about it. Exercise shouldn't be something we dread and finding movement that we truly enjoy can be life-changing. Kelly and Daryl explain why we could be missing out on the joy of movement and how taking a different approach can have long-term benefits and enhance our lives in so many ways. Think about something that you already love and then think of an activity that allows you to do that. So, you know, if you love animals and maybe you don't have a pet, do you know how many animal shelters will let you volunteer to take a dog for a walk or a run? Maybe there's a person you want to spend time with. Maybe they love an activity. You could choose to do it with them. Do you know how much that strengthens a relationship when you when you endorse an activity that someone else loves and they feel like it's their best self and you're like, okay, I'll go to that yoga class with you? There's a lot of ways to think about who and what you already enjoy. I think that rather than thinking of durations and intensities, 30 minutes must be moderate. People don't even know what that means. I think that we should view movement as being as essential to human survival as eating and sleeping. You don't say, I'll do it like once on the weekend. It's part of how you live your life. If you can find ways to make it part of your life so that it's not a chore, it's an activity you love. So maybe it's part of your recreation or it's part of how you get about your life. You run errands by cycling or walking or it's how you connect with people in your life. If you're going to spend 20 minutes with your partner or with your kid, why not make that a movement since we know that the neurochemistry of movement helps us bond and connect with others. And I really think this idea that it's something that you're like shoving into your life that's divorced from your life is one of the reasons people don't actually do it. The only solution, in my opinion, to ensure that you can have a a long-term movement practice is to find something which is fun and engaging and something that you actually receive the benefits immediately, not at the end. You know, like you have the endorphin rush after 60-minute run, I can't, you know, 60 minutes is a long time if, yeah. you're, if you're not enjoying what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it will lead to failure. Ultimately, your week on week, day on that, you'll be like, oh, I'm not going to do it yeah, anymore. Yeah, I'm not going to do it anymore. I, I haven't got enough songs on my playlist anymore. Fitness, in order for it to be a long-term practice and something that becomes self-motivating, there has to be self-intrinsic value. So if you're engaging in something that you enjoy, if it's something that you find engaging, if it's something where you notice time just compresses so it's like oh my goodness you know half an hour has gone by but it feels like five minutes if you can capture that experience with movement then you're onto a winner yeah so that could be dancing it could be playing a game that you played as a kid where you know you throw the rules out of the window it's like and just have some fun it's almost like if you play tennis for example just having a rally forget scoring points let's just see how long we can get this ball back and forth over the net for as long as we can, you know, doing really, doing funny trick shots, just being crazy with the ball. That's what you want to feel when you're engaging in this playful approach to movement. I don't think people realise how simple and how easy it can be if you start shifting your mindset on what movement is and what movement looks like. Park Run is a phenomenon here in the UK 
and increasingly all over the world. It began 16 years ago as a free five kilometer timed run around a park in southwest London, and now over 6 million people across 22 countries have registered for the event. Now, in episode 42, my guest on the show was the chief executive of Parkrun, Nick Pearson. And coming up next, he explains why the inclusivity and the sense of community at its heart is the key to Parkrun success. We'll also hear from Kelly as she explains why it is natural for us to support other people and how exercising in a group builds strong connections. It unquestionably has evolved into an accessible entry point into physical activity rather than the club running, traditional running event that, that it was perhaps designed as. And as we've seen that impact, as we've seen what it can do for communities, for social cohesion, for health, for well-being, particularly for groups that would find physical activity and exercise difficult or intimidating or challenging, that has become more of a focus for us. People want to support the people around them. It's, we naturally want yeah. it as humans, right? Yeah. We naturally want to support yeah. other people. Yeah. But somewhere along the line, society teaches us to be competitive yeah. and that we can only do well by pushing someone else down. Yeah. And Parkrun is almost the opposite to that. On the, uh, the Saturday morning 5K run, which I now regularly do, well, I do it every week now, actually, if I'm at home, there's someone at the back who... Who, who runs stroke walks it and often is walking it with the tail walker. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's given her encouragement. She's got a big smile on her face. I always say hi every time you go around and see her. It's like, this is great. And it's, there's such a warm feeling of community, which is almost addictive. I think that's what keeps bringing people back week after week. You know, if you had to motivate yourself to do that, if you had to self-motivate you know, if that lady or me even on a on a Saturday morning had to motivate, I will find an excuse a lot of the time why I can't do that. Yeah. But the fact that it's it's happening, and then when you get there, the power of the community will pull you through. I think is it's it's real strength. Changing the internal narrative we use around movement and reframing how we look at it can benefit us in so many ways. We'll hear again from Kelly McGonigal. She explains how going beyond what you think you're capable of, whether that's taking part in an endurance event or lifting heavy weights, can provide a spiritual experience that changes the brain in positive ways. But first, my guest for episode 79 on the show was Sanjay Rawal, a documentary maker who directed the brilliant film 3100 Run and Become. In this next clip, Sanjay describes what we can all gain from a mindful approach to movement. Movement often asks us to be the best version of ourselves and also like good, good friends to other human beings. So, you know, you go for a run and it's just so natural to cheer other people on. Like if you finish first to support other people in finishing, it's so natural to receive that support. It's like an easier place to allow yourself to be congratulated and supported. We get to practice these kind of rituals of just 
like easy human interdependence, things like runs and ninja warrior training and all these other places where, where people experience in connection. It's because like you're asked to do things that are a little bit hard. And then when you do it, people, people congratulate you and see your strength and you get to do that for others. And there's this kind of bigger than self effort and bigger than self joy that people experience that is, uh, some psychologists call it a sense of we agency. Like you get together and you're doing something and you experience a sense of self that literally transcends like the, the borders of your skin and your, your body. You feel connected to almost like a community is like an organism in itself. I mean, it's such like we could get into the neuroscience of this, but literally if you're running in a pack or you're in a dance class and you're moving in sync with other people, your brain starts to expand its sense of awareness so that you literally can, like the people you see running in stride with you or the people you see moving in a dance class with you, your brain is like, that's happening at the same time that my brain is saying run or stretch your arm. And it just starts to assume I'm part of something bigger, an organism that's all moving as one. And it creates this this amazing sense of self-transcendence. People who do run long distances, they often talk about it, don't they, as a form of meditation, as a form of connection. They start to process stuff in their life that actually they're unable to process in other aspects of their life. It's, it's, it's incredible. I would suggest to people who look at running as painful, who look at running as something that causes injury, to approach running in a totally different way. Instead of looking at running for performance, running for miles, running for body shape, running for burning calories, looking at running as a pathway to transformation. When we speak about running, we're also including people who walk. Um, just the idea 100%. of moving with your feet. I mean, running will get you any of those previous examples that I mentioned. It's like, if you want to lose weight, running will do that for you. If you want to look better and feel better, running, running will do that for you. But if you want to get closer to God... Running will do that for you. The question is, like, how many of us look at running as that kind of tool, as a way to get into our innermost self, and performance as a way to achieve self-transcendence, the idea of going beyond your personal limitations? So if you happen to win a race, great. But if you happen to become a better person, to learn about yourself, even better. And so the prescription for running as, a, as an act of transformation requires being soft between your ears, learning how to connect with your heartbeat, learning how to connect with your spiritual heart and letting those energies drive your run rather than your GPS watch, rather than thinking about what you're going to eat or what you're going to do afterwards, rather than even listening to music and having some external source pump you up for three, four minutes at a time. If you strip away what's between your ears, you end up having a naturally beautiful experience because running or walking or moving with our feet when done with the right intention is one of the most natural things out there. I'm a scientist. And one of the things that I, I want to communicate is that for me, science and spirituality are not in opposition. Um, so if you were to look at my early work, I did a lot of work looking at yoga and, and my research on meditation and sort of what's happening in your body and brain and what the benefits of that are. And I feel like, you know, it's not that we need science to prove things that we can directly experience, um, but sometimes the science can also help us feel that sense of awe and wonder. Like when I understand 
that my muscles are sending proteins into my bloodstream that act to give my brain hope when they cross the blood-brain barrier, I experience a sense of awe and wonder that actually feels almost spiritual. So one of the things that you will hear when people are being encouraged to exercise initially is you only have to do a minute. Like, And it's true. There's like no dose that's too small to get physical and mental health benefits. You could do as close to nothing. And as soon as you take a breath, as soon as you take a you know, single squat, everything is good for you. But there does seem to be like a dose response. And for people who are dealing with mental health challenges, people who um, are dealing with a sense of, of isolation, um, sometimes doing things that are really hard seems to kick into gear what's happening in your brain and what happens in your sense of self and your ability to experience transcendence that you can experience while doing a, a marathon or an ultra marathon that maybe you're not going to experience when you first take that, that walk around the block. Don't be afraid of going beyond what you think you're capable of. Three minutes of exercise can boost your mood. Yes, that is definitely true. And also, you might want to run a marathon. Yeah. You might even want to run an ultra marathon to have these transcendent experiences. And that's also an option. Many people in society think that we should become less active as we get older. But this really doesn't seem to be the case. In the next clip, Professor Daniel Lieberman explains the many benefits of staying active well into our old age. Many people, I think, as they get older, think that they should actually become less active. And yeah. you're sort of saying that may not be the case. Yeah, this is something we're working on further right now. You know, we have this idea that as you get older, you know, it's time to kick up your heels and, you know, move to Florida or whatever it is, right? And just kind of be less active and take it easy and, you know, enjoy the, enjoy your retirement. But, you know, humans are unusual species. We evolved, we're one of the few species that evolved to live after we reproduce. We evolved to be grandparents, but we didn't evolve just to be grandparents, you know, to enjoy our grandchildren. We evolved to be grandparents to help our grandchildren. So if you look in the hunter-gatherer societies and in farming societies, grandparents are out there foraging and hunting and gathering and digging and doing all kinds of stuff and, and helping out their children and their grandchildren, providing food surplus, you know, helping, you know, being active. And in fact, we have data showing that people tend to be often are more active when they're grandparents than when they're parents because they don't have kids in tow, right? And what's important about that, it's kind of like a chicken and egg question, you know, which came first? living long in order to be active or being active in order to live long. And, you know, they're, they're, they're both there, right? And, and it turns out that that physical activity is really important in, in slowing processes of aging and, and decreasing disease. Because when you're physically active, you turn on all kinds of repair and maintenance mechanisms, right? So when you're, when you're active, you, you know, you, you stress your body, you produce reactive oxygen species, you, you know, you, you, you get you generate heat, you do all, you turn up your, your sympathetic nervous system, your fight and flight nervous system, but then you spend energy after you're exercising to deal with all that, right? We produce antioxidants, we produce molecules to fix all the proteins that we damaged because they got, you know, affected by heat. We, we, we lower our blood temperature, we turn on our parasympathetic, you know, rest and digest system to lower sympathetic activity. We turn on all these mechanisms that keep our bodies repaired and, and, and maintained. And the trick is that we because we never evolved not to be physically active, we never evolved to turn on these mechanisms in the absence of physical activity. We need that stress to mount the anti-stress response. This is why physical activity is so good for us. It, it turns on all kinds of good processes in our body that, that keep us from aging and keep us from getting sick. 
And so as we get older, that becomes even more important, right? You want to keep your muscles healthy. You want to keep your chromosomes healthy. You want to keep your, your cells from deteriorating. You want to keep the mitochondrial numbers up on your muscles. And the, the list goes on and on and on. And that's why physical activity is so important. So as we get older, it, it becomes even more important to stay physically active because that, and, and of course the data are there. We know the epidemiological data. We know the mechanistic data, but we don't have this sort of cultural idea that, 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 that as we age, that's the time to keep up the activity, not turn it down. If this podcast has inspired you to get moving, but you're not really sure where to start, Kelly's up next with some advice. I often will tell people, pick a song you love because of the power of music, and then do any sort of movement that works for your body in this moment to the duration of a song you love or a song that reminds you of someone that you love. And you do whatever movement feels accessible and positive in this moment. There can be a lot of things going on inside of you, whether it's depression or grief or anxiety or pain, that makes movement feel intimidating. And a lot of this is about self-trust, that you don't need to listen to somebody else say you have to do a minimum of 20 minutes or a minimum of an hour, or it has to be this hard. That if you set the intention to move your body with gratitude for having connection to life, that often people can innovate their own early workouts And then you can go find a community that supports you if that's of interest to you. So what lessons can we learn for the future? As Chris Boardman works to improve the walk and cycleways in Greater Manchester, he explains why he feels cycling is so important. But first, Shane O'Mara believes that building movement back into our lives needs to be considered in city planning and building design. We must have a a charter for mobility that's based around the needs of humans, around pedestrians in in our towns and cities. And that needs to be baked into the public policy process at the start. You don't get those long, easy stretches of walking in in a city that uh, we could and should because engineers typically have worried about engineering car flow and regulating pedestrians for the benefit of cars rather than the the other way around. And cars have only been with us 100 years, but we've been walking for tens of millennia. It sounds melodramatic, but I think it's factual to say the bicycle is right up there with the printing press. It is liberation. It is freedom. It is a, a form of transport incredibly efficient that pays back to society if you use it because you improve health and you don't pollute while you're doing it, all those good things. It can be your sport. It can be your profession. It can be a way to get to shops when you're in the, 80, in the 80s and 90s even. Uh, it can be a way to keep people in communities when they, they're a little bit infirm rather than going into a home. It can do so many different things for different people and for the same people at different points in their life, which is which is me. We finish now with some great tips from Daryl, Shane, Nick and Kelly on how to incorporate more movement into your day and experience more joy in your life. Find any opportunity you can to get more movement in. Do some exercises whilst you're watching TV during a commercial break. Engage some of your family members so it feels more like you're in this together. For me, I rolled out of bed this morning, for example. (laughs) I rolled out of bed, I started doing some crawling, I started jumping around. Fortunately, no one was there to watch me. (laughs) I went to the kitchen, I had breakfast, I played some music, I started to dance, again, no one was watching. And so I had 15, 20 minutes of movement, again, without realising it, without taking up any more time out of my day. Set your computer, if you're working at a computer, 
to have the alarm go off every 25 minutes, which I do, and get up and go for a walk around. If you're going out to get lunch at lunchtime, try and find somewhere new that's a little bit further away so that you just get in an extra 1,200 steps here, an extra 800 steps there, so that at the end of the day, somehow you've racked up 10 or 12 or 14,000 steps and you haven't thought about it at all. 20 minutes of spending time with your family doing something fun in the outdoors has to be of more benefit to you than putting your headphones on and running on a treadmill and, and sucking up all that goes on in, in that, that environment and kind of commoditizing physical activity or exercise in the way that we're presenting it in the last 20 years or so. So many people get an immediate benefit from moving outdoors. If you are somebody who thinks you don't like to exercise, if there's any natural environment where you feel safe in, and it doesn't have to be the wilderness, it could be any green space, to spend time outdoors will often be the most powerful way for people to immediately connect to the psychological benefits of movement. Really hope you enjoyed that special compilation episode. As always, please do have a think about one thing that you can take away from this episode and apply into your own life. Have you been inspired to move a little bit more on the back of that conversation? I would love to know what you thought. Please do let me and my guests know on social media if any of their advice really resonated with you. And before we finish, I really want to let you know about Friday Five. It's my weekly newsletter. It contains five short doses of positivity to get you ready for the weekend. Now, I try and change it up each week, but there's usually a practical tip for your health. I'll often write about a book that I've been reading or an article or video that I found inspiring. I sometimes share a recipe that I'm making. Uh, Usually, I end off with a quote that's caused me to stop and reflect Basically, I share anything that I feel would be helpful. And I really do get such wonderful feedback from my Friday Five readers. Many of you are consistently telling me that it is one of the only weekly emails that you actively look forward to receiving. If that sounds like something you would like to receive each Friday, you can sign up for free at drchatterjee.com forward slash Friday Five. And of course, if you enjoyed listening to this podcast and found the content helpful, please do share with your friends and family. You can do this on social media, or you could just send them a link to this episode right now, along with a personal message. Perhaps there's someone you know you could do with a bit of inspiration to get moving a little bit more. What a lovely thing it would be to do for them to send them a link to this episode. Please also do consider leaving a review whichever podcast platform you listen on it really does make a difference and please do support the sponsors you can see the full list of discount codes at drchatterjee.com forward slash sponsors if you are new to my content you may be interested to know that i have written four books that are available to buy all over the world covering all kinds of different topics such as mental health nutrition sleep stress behavior change, weight loss. So please do take a moment to check them out. As always, I really appreciate you taking time out of your week to listen. I hope you have a wonderful week. Please do press follow on whichever podcast platform you listen to my show on so you can get notified when my latest conversation comes out. And remember, you are the architect of your own health. 
making lifestyle changes always worth it. Because when you feel better, you live more. I'll see you soon.